Good morning, church. There we go. I made that same mistake last time and got in trouble. You'd think I'd learn by now. Um, good morning, church. I tell you, that music right there will preach, won't it? Well, before we get started, y'all, I want to, uh, I want to go to the Lord in prayer um, and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. And if I stand up here and speak today, nobody's heart will be changed. Nobody's life will be altered. But if the Spirit speaks to us today, then hearts will be changed and lives will be altered. And so I'm thankful that, that the power of the preaching of the gospel and the change that occurs in the hearts of men is based upon God's Word and not the feeble uh, abilities of man. And so with that being said, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And let's seek His face this morning as we open up His Word. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to You right now, Lord, and we praise Your most gracious and precious holy name. Father, we gather here today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we're here today to exalt you, to worship you, Lord, to honor you, Jesus, to magnify your name. Lord Jesus, we believe in every word written in your, in your word. We believe in everything that is spoken of you, Lord, as recorded in your word. Lord, we trust Will we come before you, Lord, we bow before you today, Lord, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us today through your word. Jesus, I pray that you would make up for my inadequacies, Lord. I pray that, Lord, we would all decrease so that you might increase in this place today. Jesus, you are the bread of life, Lord. And we pray today that as we come to the table, God, we pray that you would feed us, Lord, that we might eat of the bread of life. Lord, we pray that you would give us to drink from the fountain of living water today, Lord. God, speak to us through your word, Jesus. Lord, make up for my inadequacies, Lord. Preach. Where I cannot, Lord. Lord, I have nothing to say of myself. I have nothing to boast in. I have no power, nor ability, nor anything, Father. I have nothing to boast in but your grace and the cross, Lord. And so today, Lord, I pray that you would preach to us through your spirit and through your word, Lord. I pray that the text would penetrate our hearts today and reveal to us, Lord, that you are all that we need. Lord, that we not look for satisfaction and pleasure in the things of the world, but Lord, you are the bread of life. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would, Lord, just protect our minds, Lord, from distraction, God. Speak through me, Lord, calm my nerves and do what I can't, Lord, and I just trust in you now. Lord, we love you and we thank you, and we pray for that lost soul in the house today. Lord, speak to them, we pray, for it's in your name, my God and my Lord. Amen. Amen. So I want to uh, air this out for the record this morning. I want to make this known, and I mentioned this in the last service as well. Next year, next summer, I put in to go first. Yeah, I put in to go first. Right? I, they've, I'm, I'm coming behind a, a line of heavy hitters this summer. And so I want everybody in here to be a witness, testify to this, that right here I make a parliamentary inquiry that... I go next, uh, first, um, next summer. We have been blessed this summer deeply by some great preaching from some mighty men of God. And Brother Ronnie Smith, a traveling evangelist, a faithful servant to the Lord for many, many years, uh, come and preach for us earlier this summer. And then a Dr. Bice from the Baptist College of Florida, a faithful expositor of God's Word. And then last week we uh, heard from Dr. Tommy Green, our executive director. And he preached on pressing on. He preached on pressing on towards the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus has pressed on and laid hold of us. 
And today I want to kind of expand upon that truth from Philippians, but I'm not preaching from Philippians, but I want to expand on that truth this morning as to why we should press on to the Lord Jesus Christ each and every day of our lives. And so today, if you have your Bible, I want to ask you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 6, verses 22 through 40 this morning. We're going to be looking at John chapter 6, verses 22 through 40 today. John 6, 22 through 40. And I want to go ahead and give you all three points up front. It's a little unorthodox. I know it's a little crazy. But I want to give us all three of these points up front so that we can examine these points as we walk through the text together this morning. And so as you're turning there, I want to look at this text this morning and, and how these, this text exemplifies these three truths for us today. The first is Jesus is better, Jesus satisfies, and Jesus secures. Jesus is better, Jesus satisfies, and Jesus secures. Jesus is better than anything that the world has to offer for us today. Jesus is better than any conflicting worldview that is standing outside the door of this facility knocking on the walls to get in. Jesus is better than sin and any worldly pleasure that we may ever face in our life. Jesus is much better. Jesus is better than anything that the world could ever offer. And he has demonstrated this to us and revealed this to us in a plethora of ways throughout history. The Bible says in the right hand of God is the fullness of joy. Jesus is better. Jesus satisfies. Jesus satisfies to the depth of the human soul. Jesus satisfies that which we have all been so desperately longing and desiring and looking after, and that is a relationship with God. Men might not know that's what they need, but that is the problem in the world in which we live in today. Every man created in the image of God, Imago Dei, created to know, to glorify, and to live in harmony with God. But we know that because of sin, we have been separated from God, and you see the effects of that in a fallen and a broken world. This is the problem of evil. It's called sin. And all men are so desperately looking for answers and hope and meaning and value and identity clarity, understanding, purpose in life. And that's because in the heart of man, there is a purpose. There is a God-centered whole that only Jesus through his death and his resurrection and his perfect life and the regeneration and the washing of the Holy Spirit, only he can fill that whole. Jesus truly satisfies and Jesus secures. Jesus provides for us a firm foundation. Jesus provides for us assurance that no matter what happens in this dark and crazy and confusing world in which we live in today, Jesus Christ is king, sitting at the right hand of God, and there is a day coming in the near future where the heavens will part back like a scroll, and he will descend on the earth, and all eyes will see him. And we can rest assured in this truth this morning. Jesus secures and gives us assurance as to no matter what happens in this life today, Jesus is with us. No matter what trials and tribulations that we may go through, Jesus secures. Jesus reveals to us our identity, who we are as human beings. Gives us our purpose. Reveals to us a new life. Gives us new life. Gives us the forgiveness of sins. Jesus secures. Not only in this life, but also in the next. Jesus secures our eternity because he himself 
holds the keys to life and death. And he proved this historically from resurrecting from the dead. I don't know about you, but I, I believe with all of my heart that the Son of God come to this earth 2,000 years ago, wrapped himself in human flesh, was crucified, and literally resurrected from the dead, and that he's going to come back again one day. I believe this with all my heart. And based upon this truth, this historical fact, Jesus provides for us security in this life and the next. And John chapter 6 really expounds these truths for us as Jesus attempted to get these truths across to his first century audience, the Israelites. And so before we look at John chapter 6, we, we need to look at John's purpose in writing the gospel because it's important because it enables us to understand the context in chapter 6. So we know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write historical, accurate accounts of Jesus' life and ministry to demonstrate and reveal to their original audience and all who would come after the original audience, us today, who Jesus was and what God did to accomplish salvation for mankind, having worked throughout history. And within each of these Gospels, we see that each of these writers framed Jesus in a specific way. Matthew, when you read the Gospel of Matthew, you see that he framed Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. You see this all the way through Matthew's Gospel. In the Gospel of Mark, you see Mark painting Jesus as the suffering servant. Mark wrote his Gospel to the church in Rome. And the point is this, if Jesus suffered as our King and our Lord, so will we for following him. There is no crown without a cross. And you see in Luke's Gospel, Luke wrote to demonstrate that Jesus Christ is not just the Savior of the Jews, but of the Gentiles, of the outcast, of the lowly in society, that Jesus seeks to save all men everywhere. That's been God's plan from the beginning. That's why he chose Israel to be a holy nation, to bring forth the Messiah, that all men could obtain salvation through him. And then we get to John's gospel. You notice John's a little off in left field. He doesn't really match up with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Right, John's kind of, he does his own thing. If you compare the gospels, you see some differences. But these three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, almost begin from earth's perspective looking up to heaven, from man's perspective. But see, John's gospel begins from heaven's perspective looking down. And so John gives us a unique insight as to Jesus and, 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 and from a, a unique perspective. And the purpose of John's gospel is this, to demonstrate that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God that the church did not deify Jesus in the second and third and fourth centuries, as some skeptics may bring up. No, Jesus has always been God. He has always been with the Father from eternity past, and the Bible even tells us that he created all things. John wastes no purpose in explaining, John wastes no time in explaining the purpose of his gospel. John chapter one, verse one, Jesus has always been. He and the Father are one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John chapter 1, verse 3, all of creation was made through Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 4, all life comes from him. He created all things. John chapter 1, verse 9, Jesus stepped into history intending to bring salvation to all men. John chapter 1, verse 11, and as many as who receive him by faith will be forgiven and restored to God. And so we see the purpose of John's gospel right out the gate. John picks up where the Old Testament left off, from the paradise to the fall, and from the fall to the covenants, from the covenants to the nation, from the nation to the prophets, from the prophets to the Messiah, 
from the anticipated types to their anticipated fulfillment. John, having witnessed the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, now inspired by the Spirit, he writes this gospel, where we look at chapter 6. So we know in the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus had just performed one of the most miraculous miracles that has ever been done, the likes of which it can only be compared to Exodus chapter 16, when God rained, brought down manna from heaven for the nation of Israel. In John chapter 6, Jesus fed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. And I ain't talking about, you know, in elementary school when the teacher's like, we're going to have a pizza party, and they order one pizza for 26 students, and the slices are like that. You know, it's like, bro, come on, really? One little cup of juice? That's not what I'm talking about. Jesus took two fish and five loaves of bread, and he procreated more food for, to feed 5,000 people till they were full. He created it out of nothing. How? I don't know. All I know is they kept reaching in the basket and it kept coming out. He created it out of nothing. And this miracle was meant to point to something greater. Anytime we see miracles in the scripture, the miracles are not to be the focal point. The miracles point to something much greater. That's the purpose of the miracle. It's to, to vindicate, to verify the authenticity of the person they're speaking. And so these miracles are meant to point to a greater reality, a greater understanding. And so what we see is that when Jesus performed this miracle in chapter 6, the people missed the mark. They didn't, they didn't understand what the purpose of the miracle was, as we're going to see in the text. But we see in verse 14 of chapter 6, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. This is an allusion back to Deuteronomy 18. The expectation of a prophet that would come greater than Moses. We see in verse 15 that they intended to take Jesus and make him their political king. And so we see here that the people through the miracle that Christ performed recognized that this man was definitely divine, but they didn't recognize who he was. They said, maybe this man's a great prophet, some of them even said, this is our new political king, right? Because you remember, in the first century, the Jews were awaiting a political king. That was their understanding of the Messiah, having been in exile for X amount of years, right? Israel's supposed to be God's chosen people, and then the Assyrians come and drag them through the mud, then the Babylonians drag them through the mud, then the Persians drag them through the mud, then the Greeks come in Jerusalem and absolutely defile the temple of God, Antiochus Epiphanes, and then the Romans come in, and Israel's like, Lord, where is this promised king that's going to come and restore our kingdom? And so they're expecting the Messiah to come and to set up an earthly kingdom. But see, the Old Testament, as we've been studying through the book of Hebrews, foreshadows that the Messiah would come to restore Israel in a much deeper way. And he would come to take away their sin. And yes, there will be a physical kingdom one day. But the Messiah's first coming was to deliver the nation from their sin, but the nation missed it. Their understanding, they had a false perception of who Jesus was, as we'll see in this account. And so in verse 25, was where we'll pick up, after Jesus had performed the miracle, he walked across the sea, and the multitude began to follow him there to Capernaum. And in verse 25, the Bible tells us, And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, meaning teacher, when did you come here? And in verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, 
but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. So the multitude comes seeking Jesus, but see, Jesus knows their heart. Jesus knows the intentions and their purpose in following him. Jesus knows why they're standing there. Jesus knows why they went all the way around the sea or all the way through it to get to where he was. Jesus knew that they had a false motive in their heart. Jesus knew that they completely missed this miraculous sign for what it was worth. Jesus knew this. And so Jesus cuts straight through the facade, the fake, the mask. He, he sees through all that because he knows the heart of man. And he knows why each and every one of us are in this room today. He knows the heart of every single man on the, on the planet. Why? Because he created them. And Jesus knew the heart and the intention of these men as they come to Jesus, right? They come to Jesus saying, Lord, how'd you get over here? Right? You know, Lord, we're trying to, we're trying to be with you. You know, you got this bread coming out of nowhere, and we want, we want to rock with you, right? We want, we want to follow you. But see, Jesus knows why they're really there. Jesus knows. And so Jesus addresses them, and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, plural, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now think about that, y'all. Here, here Jesus is, having done something that you honestly cannot explain with words, defies the laws of logic and reason, reason, uh, reason and everything. And here they are, Jesus looking in their heart, he's saying, you're not here because of the miracle. You're here because of the bread you ate. You're not here for me. You are literally standing here before me because your bellies are full of bread that perishes. They were there with a false motive. And I think about that this right here is the prosperity gospel. The people seen what Jesus could give them, and that's why they, saw, that's why they were chasing after him. And we see the prosperity gospel preached all over America today, throughout the continent of Africa, and, and, and throughout the world. People preach this idea that if you come to Jesus, you'll get a, a better career, he'll bless your bank account, you'll rise up in the social statuses of your community. You know, the Lord will bless you with flocks and herds, and, and the Lord will he'll, he'll give you your best life now. I will take my best life in eternity, amen? And so they were following Jesus for the material blessing. And you see this preached a lot today, this idea of come, trust in Jesus, be blessed. He will give you all that you desire. My question is, where was the, where was the apostles' prosperity gospel? Weren't they all brutally murdered for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Where, where, where was their prosperity? See, because the Lord is much more concerned with our spiritual issues than our physical and of course, he cares about our physical being, but the root of the problem is the heart of man, sin. And that's what's actually important. But see, the people here were missing this. They were missing their need for the Messiah. They were missing the point of the sign, and they're seeking him because they were filled. They looked at the little teeny detail in front of them so much so that they were missing the whole picture. And I think we do the same thing today. We get so caught up in the little things and the material things that we miss the big picture. And it happens in ministry all the time. You get so caught up in, in the bread or the ministry or this or that that you actually forget Jesus. And you see people struggling in this all the time. We, we miss the bigger picture because we're too focused at looking at the smaller details around us. And maybe some of you are in that today. You, you're missing the bigger picture because there's something so small consuming your life. 
And so the people were coming to Jesus with a false motive, missing the bigger picture. And so Jesus in verse 27 says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. And so Jesus looks at him, he says, Do not labor for the food that perishes. They're standing before him seeking a, a spiritual blessing, but Jesus is telling them, do not labor for the food that perishes. Do not strive. Do not spend time seeking after material things that have no earthly or eternal benefit. And write this down and remember this. If it's not worship, it's waste. If it's not worship, it's waste. Jesus says, do not labor for the food which perishes. He's telling them, do not pursue these earthly things that ultimately have no eternal significance that you cannot take with you. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, I believe it's verse, I got it wrote down here, give me one second. Uh, Matthew six nineteen, when Jesus speaks on uh, laying up treasures in heaven instead of storing them up for ourselves here on earth. Why would we seek to store up treasures and food that perishes here on earth rather than storing up food and riches in heaven that will be eternal? And for the Christian, Paul tells us in, Col in, in Colossians chapter 3, seek the things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above. And see, the people were pursuing the things of the earth when the Messiah was standing right in front of them. And we might say, man, they're so crazy, but the Lord is before us today in His Word and through His Spirit. And yet we still find ourselves pursuing the things of the world knowing that the Lord is there standing before us. And the same thing is true for us today. And so my question is, is there some, are, you, are, you, are you laboring for the food that perishes today? Have you found yourself caught up pursuing the food that perishes, idolizing things that have no eternal significance, spending your time and effort seeking worldly pleasures? It doesn't... It, the Lord knows your heart. The Lord knows your heart and He knows. And as He told them, don't seek the food, don't seek the food that perishes, but the food which endures to everlasting life. Jesus says, seek, pursue, focus on, press on towards the food, the things that, that endure to everlasting life. Which the Son of Man will give you, is what He tells them. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. See, they're standing before Jesus. Jesus say, hey, y'all don't need to worry about this. You need to worry about the bread of life that I will give you. See, the eternal things, the salvation, eternity, the heavenly blessings are given to us by Christ and Him alone. There's no other way to obtain these things. In the world that we live in today, many people say there are many ways to heaven, and I beg to differ. If that were the case, Christ would not have come to suffer on a sinner's cross for the sins of the world. There is one way, and it is through Him. He holds the key, and the invitation is open to all. God wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so Jesus says, strive for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Jesus was, all, he was, he was verified by the Father. He had the stamp of the Father's approval on him. 
See, Jesus and the Father are one. When we look to Jesus, we see, the, we see, we see everything that God is because they're one and the same. And so we learn about the nature of God through looking at Jesus because Jesus come to do all of the Father's will. And so he says that he will give the food which endures to everlasting life, but it must be received. And so in verse 28, the Jews look at him and they said, well, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Okay, then, so they're saying, Jesus, you're telling us that we don't need to pursue this food, but now you're talking about this eternal bread. Okay, so what do we need to do? Right, what do we need to do that we can work the works of God? What would, have, what would God have us do now? And Jesus, in verse 29, exalts himself above any other prophet and man that's ever walked on the earth. See, at this point, they're looking at Jesus as a prophet, as a great prophet. But in verse 29, there's a great shift. Because Jesus, in verse 29, answers their question, and he says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Pause. Now, this word believe is not the noun form. It's in the Greek. Or it's, it's not the noun form. It's the verb form in the Greek language. And so this, this, Jesus is telling them to believe, to trust in him, in a trust that is life-altering. Jesus is saying that you are to trust in me, to believe in me, to come to me in the way that you would come to God. And see, this is there, there's, a, there's a huge hermeneutical shift here for these Jews to, to, to jump over now. Because now Jesus is making divine claims here. And saying, what would God have us to do? How do we please God? How do we know God? What would he want us to do? Jesus says, you come and you trust in me. You believe in him whom he sent. John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so in verse 30, they, therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then? That we may see it and believe you. What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So in verse 30 and uh, from 30 through 33, they then asked Jesus, they said, okay, so this is a big claim that, that you're making. Would you prove it? Right? They're saying, well, what sign will you show us? How will you prove that you have this everlasting life? How is it that, that, that how, how will you prove that you're a greater prophet than Moses? In the first century, there were many rabbis that believed and taught that the Redeemer, when he came, that he would cause greater manna to come down from heaven than Moses did. But see, the problem, Moses didn't bring down the manna from heaven, God did. But the Jews anticipated, and there was a, a, this tradition that when the Redeemer would come, he would do a greater sign than Moses. And so they're looking at Jesus, they're saying, well, if you're the greater prophet, you know, if what you're saying is true, how are you going to prove it? How are you going to prove it? They said, our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so they say, you've got to prove it, as if feeding 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread isn't enough. Right? God has given them all that they need to believe in the message that he is proclaiming to them, and the same thing is true for us today and for all men, that God has given us enough to trust in him. He has done enough. And so here... They say, you've got to, to demonstrate that you are greater. How will you do such a thing? And see, Jesus turns the statement on in verse 32. Verse 32, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you 
the true bread from heaven. Look at the tense of that verb. He said, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the bread from heaven. See, they're looking in the past. They're looking back at what God once did. They're looking at everything else other than what's in front of them. And Jesus says, Moses didn't give you that. God gave it to you. And he, is, he gives you the true bread right now. Jesus was standing right in front of them. But they're still thinking this bread that he keeps talking about is physical. They're not understanding the spiritual need that they have. Jesus is just using a physical illustration to demonstrate a spiritual reality. And we see that through John's gospel. You see uh, two temples in chapter 1. You see two spirits. You see uh, two waters in John chapter 4, the, the living water and then the water of the, of the world. Now you, hear, you see two breads. He's just using this as an illustration to open their eyes to what they really, really need. He says, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. But they were missing the mark. They weren't understanding. And so in verse 33, Jesus begins to really make this clear for them. And I pray that he will for us today as well. Verse 33, Jesus says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So the bread of God, that the bread of life is a person. See, Jesus is wanting them to, to understand that the bread that he's referring to is an illustration representing himself. Jesus says the bread of life is he who comes down from heaven. Right here, Jesus exalts himself above every other man and prophet that's ever walked the earth. Jesus says because this bread comes from heaven. Jesus came from heaven to the earth. Jesus, this is, this is, this is the gospel that Jesus, that God, Jesus and the Father from the very beginning, set in motion a plan of redemption to bring salvation into the world. Jesus stepped off of his eternal throne, wrapped himself in human flesh, and come to bear the sins of all mankind. Why? Because no man could. Everybody has sinned. We are all guilty. Therefore, only God could redeem his creation. And people say, why would God have to die on a cross? Because he's the only one that could. He's the only one that could. There was no other way. Say, well, couldn't there just be another way? If God is truly holy, he cannot allow evil and sin to go unpunished. And so there has to be a punishment to justify his holy uh, hatred of sin. Evil has to be punished. Mankind has to be punished for their sin, but there's no man that could take that position because we've all sinned. And so God, out of his great grace and love, stepped off of his throne, wrapped himself in human flesh, come to the earth, lived as a human being, 33 years, a sinless life, so that then he could take my and your sin on himself. Second Corinthians tells us that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the grace and the mercy of God. This is the, the truth in which we live today. This is good news. This is why the apostles went to the ends of the earth proclaiming this, that the bread that comes from heaven come to give life to all men. God loves us. God is, has, in, to the depths of his heart, he desires for us to be filled with his presence, here, now, and in eternity. And the Bible says Jesus come from heaven to give life to the, to the, to the world, the cosmos, all men. Why would we need life? Because look at the world today. Everything is dying because of the curse of sin. 
Every human being on earth is under this curse. How do you know, Brock? Look at the graves. Everybody's dying. That's the curse of sin. Jesus come to, to break the curse, to give us life eternal. Look at how life is decaying around us. As you're sitting here looking at me and I'm looking at you, everybody's body in here is decaying. We are getting closer and closer to death every single second. The Bible says that creation groans, awaiting to be renewed. And God worked through Jesus to bring that renewal here and now, and there's coming a day when it will be here in its fullness. And so Jesus is trying to get them to understand you need a Savior, as he is for us today. Jesus explains to him the bread that I'm referring to is he, myself, speaking of Jesus, who come from heaven to give life to the world. And so in verse 34, these knuckleheads still ain't getting it. And there's so many people today, lest the Spirit of God come to them and penetrate their heart and open their eyes that they might see, still don't get it. There's some people in this room, I pray by the grace of God that the Spirit is penetrating your heart, pulling back the veil that you might see your great need for God, your lostness. But the people still didn't get it here in verse 34. It still wasn't clicking. And they look at Jesus and they said, Lord, give us this bread always. You know, their mind's thinking about the, the breadsticks at Pizza Hut. You know, they're, they're, they're still thinking about physical bread. And this sends me back to John chapter 4. Jesus said, I've got living water. And she said, I, I want this always. Give me this water. Nicodemus, John chapter 3 talks about being born again. Nicodemus said, well, how can I enter into my mother's womb and be born again? Jesus is speaking of physical things that demonstrate spiritual realities. They said, Lord, give us this bread always. And then Jesus lays it out as plain as possible for them and us today. He who has ears, let him hear what the text says. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Jesus looks at them and he says, I am the bread of life. You must partake in me in my death. You must partake in me by faith. You must eat of this bread. And at the communion, when Jesus sat at the table with the apostles, he said, this bread represents my flesh. This wine, this juice represents my blood that is shed for you. We become partakers of Christ's death by faith when we submit to him as King and Lord. And we bow on our knees and we cry out holy to the Lamb of God and we receive that sacrifice on our behalf. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Bread representing that which is essential for life. Bread, water. Bread just represents food. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am essential for life. Essential. I could not live without Jesus. I tried for a long time. And I, I'm telling you, I don't want to go back. I don't want it. Jesus is essential. Those of you who have been born again, who have tasted of his grace, who have been washed in his blood, you know this to be true. 
Jesus is essential for life. And we, we look around in the world and we see people just stumbling around, looking for this and looking for that, barely surviving on a spiritual respirator, trying to cure themselves of the soul that's so deeply yearning for answers and hope and purpose and meaning and value that only can be truly fulfilled by him. Jesus says, I am essential. I am the bread of life. Within John's gospel, there's seven I am statements. This is the first. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The I am exalting his divine nature. Like Yahweh, the I am in the Old Testament. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. What a promise. What a promise. In Matthew chapter 6, I believe it is, Jesus said there on the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, excuse me, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They will be filled. Passive. God will do the filling. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus said, he who comes to me, he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus can fulfill what it is that we so desperately need and are longing for. Jesus is the answer as to who we are and how we can be made right with God. All the sins and the evil and the burdens from our past can be washed away. The Bible says that, that those who are in him, he, he, he casts their sin as far as the east is from the west, the, the psalmist tells us. Jesus gives us all that we so desperately need. But see, people are walking around hungering. They're, they're, they're hungry and they're thirsty, their soul, and they're looking into the world saying, well, if I can go to school and if I can get this good job and marry this pretty uh, girl or this handsome guy and have a nice family, give me a big boat, a nice F-250, if I can get the land, if I can get all of these things, right, then I will have lived a, lived a successful life, right? If I'm the most popular man in Chipley, Florida with the most respect and honor, that's what will that's what'll satisfy my soul. That's what'll tell me who I am, my identity, what other people think of me, right? If I rise up to become the most wealthy man where I gain the whole world, this is what will satisfy my soul. This is what'll quench that hunger and thirst that's within me. What good is it if a man gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? Jesus says that he who hungers and thirsts, if he comes to me, Jesus says, I will truly satisfy that. Truly. And as Christians in here who have been regenerated, we can testify to that today, but I'm asking, I'm asking you this. Why are there Christians still walking around hungry and thirsty today? Why is it that we as God's people who have, have tasted of the grace, who know the truth, why are we still walking around like, like, like we're just thirsting in the desert? Like we're just hungry. Like we're not being filled. Like, man, I know there's got to be much more than this. Why is that? Because Jesus makes a promise here to these Jews. He said, you come to me, you won't hunger and thirst anymore. But why is it that you got Christians walking around 
that are more angry than lost people? Why is it that, that we may be looking into the world to try to satisfy that hunger and thirst when we know that it's only Jesus who can do such a thing? I think there's Christians walking around spiritually dry, hungry, and thirsty because they're not abiding in the Lord every day. They're not on their knees in the morning and when they wake up begging God's grace and mercy to come new to them. Christians are thinking that that Christianity is about putting a bumper sticker on your car, cutting the, the, the Christian music on the radio, and coming to church on Sunday. When there's so much more for us, y'all, there's so much more for us. But we've got to abide in Christ to experience all of the blessings that he has for us. And please understand this, I'm preaching to myself before I preach to anybody in this room because I falter at this daily. Daily, I find myself looking in the world to satisfy what only Jesus can. And so I'm sharing with you my conviction as to what the Holy Spirit has convicted me of this morning. That's all. Verse 36, and we're getting ready to close. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. The people there standing looking at Jesus said to them, but you've seen me and you still don't believe it. You still think that I'm not who I said I am. You don't believe me. There may be some here today who have heard the text, but you may not be convinced that Jesus is who he said he is and that he's truly enough for you. Jesus is better, Jesus satisfies, and Jesus secures. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Listen to this security right here. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. That's awesome right there. He says, all who come to me, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Those who hear the gospel according to chapter 5, those who are hearing the scriptures, hearing the teaching, responding by faith, God gives to the Son. And Jesus says, I will by no means cast out. Y'all, we got to remember, Jesus is not against us. He is absolutely for us. Everything that God has ever said and done has been for humanity's benefit. It just takes us a while to figure that out sometimes. And we need his Holy Spirit to, to teach us this. And so in the house today, I just want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, to edify and equip this morning for this purpose. Are you laboring for the food which perishes today? Because if so, you will not be experiencing the bread of life. You will not be experiencing Jesus' presence in your life. Are we pursuing the food that perishes? Are we trying to find satisfaction and pleasure in the things of the world rather than Christ? I was deeply convicted of this myself. And in order to fix this, there's things I've got to change in my daily routine. Things that I have got to change in my daily routine to make sure that I'm dwelling in His presence and all that He has to offer. And notice all of this salvation and all of this hope and all of this giving and all of this restoring and all of this joy comes from Jesus Alone, There's nothing that we add to receive his work for us. Jesus says that he will give it to us. We just must receive that. We must receive it. 
And I tell you, there's, looking at a brief survey of religion throughout history, what you find is that human beings are inclined to try to earn their way to heaven. I can remember standing on the Mayan ruins in Belize, looking over the jungle, knowing that where I was standing, many, many priests stood there sacrificing other human beings to the elements in the sky, attempting to earn their way to what their idea of heaven was. We see this all across the world. Men are inclined to try to work to earn our way to heaven. Right? Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that in the soul of man, everybody's yearning and desiring for eternity. It's built within us. We know there's more. And we feel obligated to try to do something to obtain it. But the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 and all through the book of Romans that we have all fallen short of God's glory, that the wages of sin is death, that no man could earn it, but God through his grace demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. He satisfies. He secures. He's better. And so today I pray that you would listen to the Spirit if He is convicting you in what it is that you have been supplementing for your walk with Christ and that you would repent and turn from that. That you would repent and turn from that as I'm going to try to do this week myself. And if there's a soul in here who you have heard the gospel and the Spirit is knocking on your heart saying, Surrender to Christ. I want to tell you the invitation's open. The invitation is open. But make no mistake, count the cost of following Jesus. Count the cost. He is demanding and requiring all of your life to come trust in Him by faith. He will change you, forgive you of your sins, and give you new life, and let you partake of the bread of life. Remember this also, if it's not worship, it's waste. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you that, Lord, you are the bread of life. That, Lord, you satisfy all that we could ever need. And, Lord, remind us of this truth, that in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Lord, we just must dwell in you above the things of the world, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would captivate our mind in this world in which we live today. Lord, help us focus. Help us not lose sight. Lord, help us to run the race faithfully knowing that each and every day, Lord, is getting closer to your return. Jesus, help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, strength, mind, everything that we have. Jesus, thank you for satisfying. Lord, if there is one here, convict, move. Bring them to us today that we might talk with them and point them straight to you. God, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.